I'm not this perfect person that people actually see me. And um, sometimes you just, you know, want somebody to listen to you and respond and mm-hmm. say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I'm here with you. Probably maybe it would have made a huge difference. there. My name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, most of us, including me, we are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and I hope better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm certainly going to try. Now, we are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. You can email us at hello at suicidenoted.com. This is episode 30. Thank you. Thank you to our attempt survivors who have been bold enough and brave enough to come on and share their stories with me and you. And thank you to all of our listeners. I really appreciate it. Wherever you are around the world, please keep listening, keep sharing, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Today, I am talking with Charmaine. Charmaine lives in South Africa, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Charmaine. How are you? I'm good, and you? What part of South Africa are you in, Charmaine? I'm in Cape Town in a small town called Philadelphia. I stay on a small holding. A small holding is a farm, but the much smaller farm. And my landlord is a racehorse trainer. Wow, that's pretty cool. A racehorse trainer. (laughs) All right. I like meeting people and I like hearing these different sort of lives that they lead, you know. I want to ask you to share what happened with you, uh, however you want to, whatever you're most comfortable doing in terms of the attempt, what would you like to share first? Okay. Actually, it happened many, many years ago. I was a teenager and I took an overdose. I actually didn't tell my parents or anything. I just kind of recovered and I was lucky that it didn't have any physical effects on me. I think it's all, it all stems from when I was a kid and a teenager. I was actually born in Zimbabwe or Rhodesia, as we called it, mm-hmm. the old name. I was about 14 when we left. And it was like my whole life just fell apart um, when I left there because I absolutely loved that country. It was my country of birth. I had aspirations of saving it from communism and all of that. So when I came to this country, it was like I lost every dream, you know, what I wanted to be. I was going to join the army and 
fight for the country. And when I came to South Africa, everything was different. The people were different. Yeah, and I just went into this pit of depression, which got worse and worse and worse. And my parents didn't believe that teenagers or kids suffered with depression. You know, we were too young to suffer with stuff like that. I actually heard it for many years. And yeah, basically now I just accepted that it's part of my life and that I live with it and maybe try and help other people, you know, and there doesn't have to be a a stigma, a bad stigma about depression, because I think probably this this whole world is crazy and most people suffer with depression. Mm. How old were you when you uh, when you tried? That's about 18. Yeah, 18. You were 18 years old and you had moved mm-hmm. from Zimbabwe, was Rhodesia. You eventually decided or tried to overdose. Did you wake up? Did you go to a hospital? Do you remember the, the hours after, the days after what happened? I woke up in my own bed and then I really felt quite embarrassed about it. Yeah, I didn't go to the hospital or see a doctor or anything. I just kind of slept off the effects. Um, as I say, I'm pretty lucky that, you know, what I took didn't cause any damage. And then yeah. I didn't tell my mom for years about it. I just brushed it aside and carried on as per normal. Only told my mom like a good few years later, you know, that I tried to overdose and all of that. She was quite shocked about it. Yeah, she didn't. She also didn't say much about it either because that's typical of my family. You know, we don't talk about stuff like that. We just brush it aside and kind of try and carry on as per normal. Right. What was the reason, as best you can recall, why you didn't share it with anyone? I think I was embarrassed, maybe. Also, probably because, you know, I didn't die. So, you know, I didn't want to say anything to anyone. Um, You know, because in my family, everyone just doesn't talk about stuff that's worrying them. They just um, tend to avoid those very important conversations, which is really quite detrimental to people's health that can't feel comfortable talking to our own families about stuff that's worrying us as well. Right. A hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Other than your mom, who you shared that with, you said, I think a few years later, who else knows? Actually, no one really, Mm. just my mom and you. I'm in good company. Absolutely. (laughs) You told your mom and your mom, and if I'm wrong here, you'll let me know. You didn't have a long conversation about it with your mom. No, it was very sort of, you know, brushed over. And uh, I was involved with this youth group. And I said, no, you know, I tried to overdose and it wasn't successful. But now everything's fine. Because, you know, when you're younger, you can actually bury stuff that's that's worrying you. And, you know, and I said, but I'm fine, you know, it won't happen again. And um, I actually don't quite remember what, whether she said anything about it, but if I know her, she wouldn't, she's not the kind of a person because she's got her own issues in life. You know, somebody else is having a problem. She's just got her own problems. So she's kind of not equipped to actually deal with it at all. Yeah. Understandable. I get that. Would you have wanted her to engage with you in a certain way? Would it have helped? Actually, now when I think about it, now that I'm older and wiser, um, And, you know, you sort of see things differently when you're older. And actually, because I'm the kind of person that tries to heal everyone else's problems, sometimes I just think it would be nice if 
somebody, you know, would listen to me because I'm not this perfect person that people actually see me. And um, sometimes you just, you know, want somebody to listen to you and um, respond and mm-hmm. say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And I'm here with you. Probably maybe it would have made a huge difference um, if she had responded differently, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you're in Cape Town, which, by the way, I heard is absolutely beautiful city. Mental health care. Curious what it's like in that part of South Africa, specifically Cape Town. Do you think they get adequate care? We don't at the moment. In this country, if you're not on a medical aid or medical insurance, which I'm not, then you're kind of on your own because this present government that we have has absolutely run everything into the ground. I mean, years ago, we actually used to have brilliant mental health places, um, some brilliant hospitals. But at the moment, now it's not actually very good. I think people basically are on their own. Mm. I mean, our government hospitals are wrecked. And I mean, we had some brilliant teaching hospitals years ago. Um, So it's actually very sad. And You know, you see so many people that are on the street that probably years ago wouldn't have been on the street if they had actually had the right help, mental health. It's actually very, very sad. It really is. Given that you had only told one person about it, I'm wondering, was there something in your life that changed? Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like there were many years where you didn't talk about it at all, including to random bald men in the United States of America. Absolutely. No, that is 100%. Um, Maybe it's just another phase in my life that I've hit or whatever, but I believe that we should actually talk about it and not be ashamed of it either because um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And I do believe help is out there. However one wants to, whether if they go and speak to a pastor or a counsellor or a doctor or or anyone, I, you know, I think so many people have, and sad, that have actually been successful in taking their lives, that if maybe if they had just spoken to one person, it might, might have helped. It might. I know you're only an expert in your own life. Why was there some shame around that? I think it probably just in my life, because in my family, um, we never spoke about emotions or feelings or um yeah, I mean, my folks used to fight like a cat and dog, you know, I was very quiet about it, even at school. I don't know, we never spoke about things that are actually quite normal, you know, feelings, however, you know, one feels, whether you feel happy, sad, just never came out. And we and we weren't the huggy type of a family either. It's only like later on in life with my friends that learned that that's quite a normal thing, you know, to hug your friends or whatever. Yeah, I think that's why I was embarrassed because I was feeling, well, you know, I shouldn't have been feeling like that in in their eyes, you know. I was too young to feel depression or, you know, Mm. feel like I've reached the end of the road. Yeah. And since then, you've never felt urged to do that again? That It sounds like it was more of a one-time... I have actually felt the urge, um, especially um, the way things are in in our country at the moment. I don't know if you guys, I know we're trying to make it everyone aware of it overseas, but um, certain 
people in our governments would like to see us dead. And sometimes you you feel like you can't carry on with this fight. I actually felt not too long ago that if I had my firearms still, I probably would have done it because um, luckily it hasn't happened on our farm, but um, many of our farmers have been raped, murdered, tortured, and it's quite a scary thing. And, you know, we, we don't have any um, support from anywhere. We're kind of on our own. So it's yeah. a very scary, depressing thing. And with this whole COVID thing, a lot of people lost their businesses. So a lot of people committed suicide. I mean, a guy tried to hang himself. Luckily, his child found him. So, yeah, I have had that again. But the thing that keeps me going um, is my animals, because I always think if I'm gone, who's going to look after them? That actually keeps me going. And if somebody speaks to me, maybe I'll be the light for that person as well. Sure. A lot of listeners are in the United States. So I don't think they're clear on what when you say the government wants some of you dead, and then you mentioned stuff about farms. We don't know anything about that. So would you share more? Well, our president doesn't believe that we have a genocide. I mean, there are thousands upon thousands of farmers that have been murdered and not just tortured, raped, little girls, and they, the women raped the men, some of even the men sodomized, tortured with power tools and irons. It is absolutely horrendous what, what is going on. What, what's the reason? It's pure evil, and it happened in Zimbabwe as well. Farmers were kicked off their land. It's a whole evil thing, you know, to make trouble amongst the people. If, if, if everyone just left everyone alone, I think we'd all get on with each other. But it's really, really awful. I know one of the ladies that survived, she's actually been over to the States with um, one of our organizations to speak about it. Her husband was shot in front of her. She was eight, nine months pregnant. Husband shot her, shot him five times. Um, it's just so sad. It's absolutely sad. But it's not random. It's happening to people in farming communities. So what am I not understanding? Is it about the land? They're using the land as, as an excuse, but um, the farmers only have a very small percentage of land. But obviously, they will use the, the land as an excuse. But, you know, like if you look at Zimbabwe, since all the farmers have gone, those people are dying of starvation and getting food aid from the UN and all of that. So yeah, we we are really trying to hang on for what we have. And sometimes you do lose hope and you get scared because you think, well, I don't want to be tortured and raped to death. And sometimes one does feel very, very depressed about it. Um, and you think, well, you know, there's no hope, but um, one just has to cling on to the smallest bit of hope that you have. Just believe that somehow we're going to be okay. Somehow somebody's going to see the light. But it is, it's absolutely evil what's going on. They even hack their animals to death. They set some of their farms alight. And the poor cattle were killed as well. And it is so sad what's happening. It really is. Mm. I appreciate and respect the fact that you're clinging to hope or more than clinging, but. It sounds really hard. It is. And um, 
you know, with this COVID thing, they jumped on it so that some of the white people would lose their jobs, their businesses. I'm just very blessed that I'm in essential services and that I still have a job. But there are so many other people that lost their livelihoods, lost their jobs, lost everything. Oh, it's so sad what's happening. So you've kept your job. Yes. Uh, you you had mentioned earlier, not, not long ago in our conversation here, that if you had still had a firearm, maybe things would have been different. So did you once have a gun and you don't no longer do for work or otherwise? I did have a gun before. Um, us uh, very stupidly handed it in because actually we need guns for protection here and, and it's very, very hard to get another one because they just probably, they want to disarm us. That's the bottom line is that they would, they want to disarm us so that we are basically sitting ducks, but maybe it's good on the one hand that I didn't have it. Otherwise I might have gone ahead with it. Yeah. It's a bit of a catch 22 situation. Yeah. Especially if you're in danger. Yes. Which it does sound like you are. So I know that with the lockdown or the pandemic, life has changed. You've kept your job. Has that made anything else uh, difficult or maybe in some ways even easier? I don't know. Some people are thriving. The lockdown was really hard. I actually took quite a bit of strain, you know, when we weren't allowed to go and visit our families and all of that. You know, thankfully, afterwards, everyone just said, stuff this. We're going to go and visit our families no matter what. The lockdown also took away one of my other forms of income. Um, so as I say, I'm a paramedic and then I work in the events as well, do the medical standby. And since the lockdown, we haven't had that. So, you know, the financial strain also doesn't help matters either when you think, how the hell am I going to survive? How oh. am I going to feed my animals? <laughs> Absolutely. Has that eased up at all for you or is it still similarly stressful in terms of the finances or other things that are contributing? It's it's getting better. Um, we're starting, you know, with the events uh, and we still have a curfew till midnight. <laughs> so we have to, you know, have things around that. But it is better and hopefully, you know, it will remain like this. Um, I don't think we'll ever be back to normal again. I don't think anywhere in this world. Mm. We just got to kind of work around it, make the best out of a crappy situation. Yeah. Did you ever get help for anything? Did you ever get counseling or treatment or, or therapy or other sort of things that help people who are struggling? I went to my GP. Um, so I've known him a long time. Yeah, he put me onto some antidepressants. And I must say, those things are pretty life-saving. They do just help level one out. But um, you know, it doesn't take away whatever the root cause of it, of it is, but it, it definitely makes a difference. You know, sometimes when it's month end and I'm waiting for the paycheck and then I miss a good few days, you can actually feel the difference. So uh, I really believe that they really, really make a difference. And some people say, you know, oh, they shouldn't just put you on antidepressants and all of that. But I, I believe that in today's times, I think People need them and there's nothing wrong with it. It definitely helps things and makes it a bit easier. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I haven't gone to see a, a psychologist or psychiatrist yet. Maybe one day I will. Um, we will just have to see how things go. For now, the 
the Newsac works wonders, really mm. does. When you had said earlier about wanting to talk a little more about it and ending stigma, or it sounds like one of the big things you wanted to address is sort of the importance of talking about it. Is there anything else around that or other things that you think are important for people to hear who might be feeling the way you were feeling? I know it's been some years, but nonetheless. Oh, definitely. And and I even see that a lot of certain bands will speak about it. And I just adore that band, Disturbed, because they speak about those things, post-traumatic stress disorder, addictions, suicide. And, and I just think it is so important for people to, to talk about it and not feel ashamed or embarrassed about it, because I'm sure that every second person feels that way as well. And I know certain in certain communities, people don't want to talk about it. They rather just keep it quiet and pretend that it'll go away. But it doesn't go away because as you get older, you actually have to face those things in your life. They're, they're actually, from about 35 onwards, those things just somehow, those demons raise their, their heads and um, you have to face it and acknowledge it. Yeah, deal with it however one does. and. Sometimes I don't always think that the traditional psychiatric treatment is the best because um, I also think they just suppress that and, and you have to face it and talk about it and acknowledge whatever the root cause was. Um, mm. I think a lot of treatment does do that. Hopefully it does. I think from, from my experience, it may vary. Yeah. yeah. The goal is to try to deal with the root cause or root causes. Yeah. Yeah. And try and heal oneself but I don't think you know one can certain experiences in life you can never forget what they are but um, I think it should become easier you know to live mm -hmm. with especially in my job we see a lot of stuff you know when I started out in this field um, we didn't have debriefing and talks about like bad calls or anything like that you know it was just pushed it aside and, and went on. And I mean, yeah, we've seen some pretty bad stuff. That one church that was bombed many years ago mm -hmm. and all those poor sailors blown to pieces, that was really quite a, a tough call. And, you know, we all just had to go on, you know. And now if the guys see a really bad thing, they'll have like a debriefing session and they'll talk about it. You know, they have such things as chaplains and all of that to make sure that the people, if they want counseling, they can get counseling. Yeah, all helpful stuff for sure. But as I say, um, I really also believe that animals are also very healing. Um, our dogs and our cats, um, they give us purpose to live for. Somehow they know if you're having a rough time and they'll come and sit with you and um, they definitely give, give one a purpose in life what kind of animals do you have i have cats a lot of cats all right there's yeah. cat people and dog people you're a cat you're a cat person absolutely <laughs> how many cats do you have i have 12 mm. all right yes okay yes. so they're everywhere they're everywhere i assume oh yes absolutely after talking about her cats i asked charmaine about rhodesia the beginning part of that conversation got cut off, but I've saved most of it, and that is what you will hear next. Some really amazing survival stories as well mm. from there. Yeah, I bet. 
I bet. Yeah, it's a fascinating history. Have you gotten back? I haven't gone back yet. Um, everyone said to me, um, don't go back. You'll be so heartbroken when you see the difference. And I mean, I've just seen some photographs and those are really heartbreaking. But there's still some very beautiful places like Victoria Falls and Kariba. All those tourist places are still beautiful, but the other places are run down, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is sad. Yes. But it sounded like your heart was really there. And that is, from what you've shared, part of the reason why you couldn't deal with it at some point. Yeah, and just chatting to other fellow, you know, ex-Rhodesians, they also say that their heart is there. They will never, ever get over the loss of that country. It's very, very sad. I always ask, not to be a pain in the ass, but I'm wondering, something was different about that day. And I didn't ask you, and I want to, if it's okay if we can go back for just a moment. I think it can also be um, that my dad was, um, he was an alcoholic in his time and verbally abusive. And my mom and dad sort of stuck together all that time, even though it was a um, not a happy marriage. And I think that day I just decided, had enough of this thing. And I went off to my bedroom and closed the door, locked the door and just decided that I was going to do it. Not not an easy thing, you know. One has to like psych themselves up. I, I I've never tried, so I can't say I know, but I've heard that from other people as well. Yeah. Uh, some people say, oh, you know, people who commit suicide are cowards, but I actually don't think so because it takes quite a lot of courage. I mean, to to actually do that. Yeah. Definitely. I I agree. Uh, I would never use that word coward. Yeah, I don't believe that they're cowards. I just, because people who say that have never actually reached that point and been and felt so low in their lives. They don't know what the person's going through. I always look at the person, every individual. And I also think I try and treat people the way I want to be treated. So I would never, ever say that. It's just sad that so many people just decided to leave this world and if they had just spoken to somebody, might have made that small difference. Mm. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, you've really shared a lot and you've been very open and it's been really nice. What else would you like to share, Charmaine? I appreciate you uh, joining me. Uh, it's actually the first time that I've ever really, you know, spoken about this. So it's a good thing as well. And just amazing that it's, well, that's why I say Facebook is a good thing because um, it helps many, many people and, Ordinarily, we wouldn't have, I wouldn't have spoken about this at all. And Right. It's so another I space think- where people might be able to connect and talk about it uh, and learn about it and others going through it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many people um, that's decided to end, end their lives. Yeah. You know, the more people can, can talk about it and chat about it and, you know, maybe it can save a life. Yeah. The thing I, I've found in, in my profession, um, when people overdose or whatever they do, they're not always treated very well at the hospitals here. I don't know what it's like in, in America, but I know here in South Africa, ooh, they are they're treated really, really badly. Not helping. Yeah, doesn't help. They're very unempathetic un- with them and they just treat them as though they're nuisances, like on a Friday and a Saturday night. 
Yeah, I just think it's very heartless as well. There's just no compassion left in this world. That's all it takes. A little bit of compassion and to listen to somebody, be there for somebody. I think it's would make the world of difference. Well, there's some compassion. It sounds like you give compassion in your work. No, I, I think that's probably also why I was drawn to it as well. Since I lost <laughs> my dream as a kid to join the army, I decided, well, you know, I was going to become a paramedic. Back in that time, there weren't any women in, in, that were allowed to work as paramedics. We paved the way for the ladies now in mm. South Africa. So, yes. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So you do deal with, as a paramedic, though, so you've been on the other end, I assume, of suicide attempts. You've seen some and dealt with some. Yes, absolutely. The latest way of people doing it is very violent. I mean, so many hangings, it's it's awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, That's got to really take a lot of courage to do that. It's really, really sad and awful for the family to, to find their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also probably takes a toll on you. That's not easy stuff to deal with, is it? No, it's it does. Eh? Um, let's just say that's why, thankfully, now they've gotten better in these times where, you know, they have debriefings. And I know the, the government service has got a, a chaplain as well. I actually met him, a really nice guy as well. And so it's good. Yeah, very good. I've shared on this podcast before. I had a friend who was a police officer. It's been a while, but yeah, I don't think he had a lot of access to that kind of help. And he ended up ending his life. And, you know, we talk about lack of access to health care or mental health care. And obviously, as a police officer in the United States, you oh, he had a gun. Most of them have guns, right? So that was yes. another factor. There's all these factors that you look back, you're like, oh, okay, that and that and that dangerous combination. So. Yeah. That's that's very sad. The amount of police officers, even here in South Africa, that have committed suicide as well. And yeah, uh, it's really sad. Years ago, um, I now work in the the control room, but years ago when I was on the road, all the emergency services, there was such honour and respect between all of them. But now, not anymore. We just kind of. On our own, but luckily the owner of the company's girlfriend, she's done this trauma counseling. So she helps a lot of the people that are having a rough time as well. I personally haven't spoken to her, but (laughs) I know some of the others have as well. Yeah. I guess we can only do what we can do and hope a little bit. Like you said, cling to hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Other than your cats, anything, what brings you joy? Yeah. Meeting with my friends. my work definitely gives me purpose. Yeah, it would be lovely to get back to yoga again. <laughs> you know, once this post-COVID, I used to love to go to my yoga class and just, you know, have some me time and just relax. Being in nature as well, it's very healing as well. And horse riding, it's lovely. I just enjoy being around animals too. Mm-hmm. And, of course, chatting to good people like you. Um you know, maybe this message will help somebody else. That's that's my hope in life as well. Thank you so much for talking and being open to sharing your story. I appreciate it. I'm sure other people out there will hear it and appreciate it. So thanks again. Thank you and have an awesome rest of the day. 
You too. Be safe. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Charmaine out in South Africa. If you'd like to follow us on social media, at Suicide Noted. It's on Facebook and Twitter. We also have a YouTube channel. You can check us out there if video is more your thing. We release new episodes every Monday morning. Look forward to that. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're on Apple, help us out. Rate us or review us. It really does help people find this podcast. Thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Until we connect again.